to invite them to come forward. Um, and while they do that, by the way, we have two rows, um, so spread out uh, as you would a school and so forth. Or not. <laughs> I think I'm fighting a losing battle here. But... Okay. You can sit down there beside me. There you go. Alright. Anyways, I'll be with you guys in just a moment, but I also wanted to say thank you to Naomi for sharing those words. As she was speaking, I, I, was, I just wanted to share this thought. When we make ourselves available, God will look. And I've, I've heard some of us say, including myself, well, you know, we want to see people reach, but I'm really not around that many people that, that don't know the Lord, or I don't, I don't work, or I don't do this, or where, where am I to meet people? If we pray each morning, God, give me someone to share. You will be amazed. I did that for a season in my life. And I was never short of opportunities. And I'm, I'm sorry to say I got out of that habit. But if you ask the Lord, He will give you opportunities to share. And we need to have that heart for the community. So thanks for that example. So, young people, um, Mike already quizzed the audience on what we talked about last week. Do you remember? Yeah, Seth? Yes. What about the curse? What happened? Jesus took it away, took our curse for us. So, I have a question for you today. How many of you are familiar with hide and seek? Yeah, have you all played that? Yeah? Have you ever found a place to hide where nobody can find you? Yeah? Yeah. How do you feel when no one can find you in that game? Feel pretty good. <laughs> For those who couldn't hear, she said, I feel really happy when President Logan finds me and tries to scare me. Oh. They look for you all night. They don't give up. That's good. You feel happy too. All right. If you were going to play, we, we can't play hide and seek here, but if you were going to play hide and seek in a church, where would you In a secret room? Behind here? Okay, how about you? A place where nobody is? Okay. Yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? Find a place where most people wouldn't think of where you go, okay? You would go outside. Well, that would trick them if they were looking in the church. Or behind that fence thing. Pull it in the attic and pull up the stairs. That would totally work. <laughs> then you're using things in the closet. Some good spots, folks. Now you know where to look for them if you can't find them. <laughs> Did you know there's hide and seek in the Bible? 
You did. Where at? You're right, there is. Where at? Do you know where? Can anybody guess? There's hide and seek in the story of Adam and Eve. And we're going to look at it. We're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. And I think you all probably know the story of how it says the serpent came and tempted Eve, and they picked the apple or the fruit off of the tree, and they ate it, and they weren't supposed to. So we're going to pick it up right there. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful. She saw that its fruit was good to eat. And that it would make her wise. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then it was as if the man's and the woman's eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made something to cover themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden. This was during the cool part of the day. And the man and his wife hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So we read there that they did something they weren't supposed to do. And I don't know if you remember my story last week, but I told you about a time where I did something and Mom said, wait till your father gets home. You remember what I did? I went and hid in the barn. Because I was hoping if they didn't see me, they would forget about it. And that's kind of what Adam and Eve did. It says they did something wrong, and immediately they knew that wasn't the right thing. And then they heard God coming, and they tried to hide in the trees. And they were hoping, maybe God won't see us and know we did the wrong thing. Can you really hide from God? Of course not. He can see everything, right? He knows everything. Yeah, he already knew what happened. And he was looking for them. And we didn't read that verse. We're going to read it with the adults in a little bit. But the Bible tells us that God said, where are you? He knew where they were, but he wanted them to feel free to come back because he didn't want them to be ashamed. That's what we're going to talk about today. When we sin, we have this feeling of shame. It's that feeling that we've done something wrong and we're separated. And we want to hide. and We don't feel very good about ourselves. And we hide. But God made a way for us not to uh, have to stay in that shame. I'm going to read you another verse. It's from Romans. Actually, it's two verses. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and verse 11. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As Scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Just like Adam and Eve felt shame when they sinned and they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, God calls out to us and says, you don't have to keep that shame. I want to forgive you if people would just believe that I've given Jesus an Easter for your sins, for your shame. I'll take all that away. And so, Maybe when you're playing hide and seek, you can think about, am I hiding from God? Am I, is there something I've done that I shouldn't have done? And I'm, I really don't want him to see, but I know he does see. All you have to do is ask for Jesus' forgiveness. 
chain, you need to be reconnected to God because that's what he wants. And you don't have to wait till you play hide and seek, by the way. I'm just hoping that maybe that game will remind you from time to time. But if you want to make that decision, I encourage you to talk with your parents or talk to me after church. We'd love to, uh, to help you get rid of that chain that you might have kept. Thanks a lot. You guys are good listeners. You can head back. We're going to uh, have our morning prayer time before we get into the sermon. Are there any uh, specific requests that you want to share this morning? If not, let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for this beautiful day for the privilege of being in, in your house in your presence. And I thank you for the words that have already been shared here. Thank you for the example that Naomi has given us and Lord, we're not lifting her up, we're lifting up what you did through her. And we ask that you would humble our hearts and make us your servants as well and we would reach those around us. Lord, I thank you for the worship team and the words that were shared about our attitude in coming to sing and to hear from you. I ask that you would help us to grow in this area, that we would approach each Sunday morning as an opportunity to humble ourselves before you, to learn, to praise you, to grow in you. And I thank you for this body that you bring together, Lord, your word as we've already studied. tells us that there is strength in this fellowship. That as we gather together and we, we care for one another and we focus on teaching and praying and remembering what you've done, Lord, that you do powerful things. And we ask that you would do that this morning, Lord, that your power, not through anything that I do and say, Lord, but through what your spirit presents, would change hearts, change lives. Reach us, Lord, where we're hurting, where we're struggling. Where we have sorrows and pain and shame, Lord. Would you set people free today? Lord, we have many needs. We thank you, Lord, that you know each one, you care about each one, and you're able to work in each one, Lord. And so many times we have an idea of what we want to happen, what we think the right answer is for. We wish that you would heal everyone physically and emotionally here on earth. In your grace and your wisdom, you don't always do that, Lord. Sometimes you're healing and you take them home to be with you. And so we lift up the health needs of our family. Ask that your work would be done. We think of Vic and Charlotte, Lord, as they walk this cancer journey and ask for your grace and your strength. We ask for your help with Connie as she's also waiting on this biopsy and the answer about medication and Lord, what you want to do there. We ask that you give her peace and give her understanding and knowledge. Y'all that she 
already has. We pray for Tony, Lord, who has been struggling and is now improving. Lord, we thank you for what you've already done. We thank you for his uh, improved outlook. And we just ask that you continue to cement his body and that you would um, heal his foot during work. Lord, he's anxious to get back to working and supporting himself. Lord, would you provide him that way? Lord, it's impossible to mention each one. We ask you to lend a hand. Lord, I pray for the family that shared this morning some struggles that they're going through. And ask for your grace and peace to be upon them. Lord, as we have an uncertain future, Lord, don't let us know what lies ahead. We can rest in the fact that you do what you say you've already won the battle. And we look forward to that victory. Which makes me think, Lord, of our, of our nation and this, this bill as we prayed about before this before. Our Senate, they call an Equality Act. Lord, we do indeed want to treat others of every situation with your love. We are not called to be their judges, Lord. We're called to be their lovers. And we're glad that we're there. So would you fill our hearts with compassion that we would reach out to those that are lost, that are hurting, that maybe are confused, and share your truth, Lord. But we pray against this bill that would limit churches' ability to do just that. To share the truth that you've given us because it might offend somebody, because it might disagree with someone else's thoughts. Lord, only you know if we're near a time when all of us are going to face judgment. Or if we still have time to go and you want to bring a revival. Whichever it is, Lord, give us strength. Keep us close to you. May our faith persevere. Lord, now as we look into your word, we do open our hearts and minds. May it be your spirit that directs in Christ's name. Seem to believe that I'm heaven made, heaven given, heaven laid at the feet of the unforgiven. 
And that's my sweet spot, right there. My name is Shane, and you believe God wants me here to teach you something, perhaps. Oh, I'll teach you, all right. I'll teach you this. My name is Shane, and what you have done is unthinkable, unsolvable, undeniably horrible. And don't forget that you are unworthy, unlovable, unforgivable. It's unreal exactly how un you are. Don't forget you don't resonate with this. It doesn't sound like heaven's whispers, does it? No, not a bit. And yet, here we are, the teacher and the student. My name is Shane, and I will take this human-made matrimony, binding sin and shame, and gladly let you bear my name. Because when you do, you wallow and stew and think even the Savior, whose eyes saw into the soul of every soul following the cross, somehow can't bear the sight of you. I will take it, and with it, I'll take you, too. My name is Shane. So now, go screw on the smile and show the world you don't feel us. Go dance, go sing, go lie and pretend that you don't realize this. My name is Shane, and you're mine until you release the hold I have on you. Pity doesn't sound like something someone so unexceptional like you would do. Thank you, Kira. So that's our introduction for a message on shame. And I don't think I could have given a better description. I found that reading this week. I thought it gave a pretty good picture of what we face as a result of our sin, of where it leads us to. So we have this feeling of separation and self-loathing Inability to move forwards. We're going to find out today that we can. We started this series last week, as we already said, looking things for Easter that Jesus took from us. And as we already said, we found out last week that Jesus took our curse that we deserve. We looked at the crown of thorns and hanging on the tree and how that represented the curse that God issued at the beginning is now taken away. And today we're going to look at shame, and it may in fact be one of the least talked about things in the church. Of the things we're going to talk about that Jesus took away, I think it's probably the least talked about. But it may just be the most important for us to deal with. Let's look at why. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation, um, just because of some of the wording that's here. But uh, we're going to start at Genesis 2, verse 25, and we're going to read the chapter 3, verse 13. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and this fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. 
At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, That's why I ate it. I'm going to stop there. I would imagine for most of us, these are familiar verses, but there's some really important lessons here about what's happened as a result of sin. And we all know that ultimately, sin brings separation from God and brings death, and we need salvation. But there's this thing mentioned several times in that passage called shame that we need to be aware of, and that we need to make sure that we deal with because the enemy is going to use it. He's going to use it against us if he can. So the first thing that we see in verse 25 is it says the man and the woman were naked and they had no shame. There was an innocence at the beginning. They were created as God wanted them to be and they had not yet sinned. There was this perfect innocence about them and there was, there was no sense of nakedness or hiding or needing to, to not be in God's sight. They had what we can all look forward to in heaven, the ability to be before God just as we are and feel complete, feel satisfied. And that was all about to change. We need to understand that nakedness wasn't the real issue. It wasn't whether they were clothed or unclothed that gave them shame or not gave them shame. But it's a symbol that we have gotten as a result of sin. So if we turn to verse 7, we read that the serpent had deceived Eve, and she took the fruit, and she ate it, and then Adam ate it. And it says, at that moment, shame came. Instantly. It wasn't delayed, it wasn't postponed, it wasn't a gradual feeling. Instantly, they had this sense that they were now separated from God. And we need to understand that shame is automatic. We have no control over it. We can't stop it. It's an automatic response, but it's not from God. It's from the enemy. This is what science has to say about shame. Shame is a raw and typically doesn't involve cognitive processes like logical thinking or reasoning. It's an automatic stress response that hijacks the brain. Research shows that when your brain's limbic stress response is more active, the prefrontal cortex which controls logical thinking, 
is less functional. What's that mean? In easy words, shame cripples us. Our brain doesn't work right when we experience shame. Because it's the enemy's way of distorting, of trying to hide the truth, of trying to make us, as we're going to see in a moment, run away from God and be separated from God. So we need to understand what the source of that shame is. When we have those feelings, we need to know where it's coming from. A definition of shame, as you know, I usually like to share so we understand what we're talking about. Let's talk about some of the scientific aspects. The shame is described as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. That's according to Merriam-Webster. But again, I feel like definitions fall so short. Shame is humiliation. It's distress. It's caused by an awareness of we did something wrong. And it leads to withdrawal. Withdrawal from God and from others. Of feeling anxious, exposed, powerless, and worthless. You heard some of that in the reading that Tears of Did for us. We haven't talked about it yet, but shame and guilt are not the same. Guilt is from God. Guilt is an unright understanding that we have done something wrong his salvation to correct it. It leads to healthy things. Guilt leads us to turn back to God. Shame does not. Shame causes us to hide from God. It's a painful feeling about oneself as a person. And again, we already said some of this, but most often it causes us to bury our heads and try to disappear. If you've ever wanted to avoid returning a phone call, or call in sick for a job interview, or back out of a date, it very well could have been because of shame. Because something is telling you you're just not good enough. You're just not where you need to be. And we need to know that shame has only negative consequences. And we're going to see that in the next few verses. Still in verse 7, it says they sowed leaves together. They instantly felt that shame and they felt like there was something that they needed to do and shame tries to cover it up. Tries to hide what they've done. They don't bring it into the light. Shame tells us, hide it. Don't let anybody know. Don't think awful of you if they find out. And there are things in our lives that we do that. It's impossible to make a list of what all those are. But one of those things is pornography. We hide it. We pretend to be pure. You know, we, we, we interact with others, possibly our spouse, friends, churchgoers, and act like everything's good. And inside, we just don't feel whole anymore. Because we're hiding something that we know is wrong. Sometimes we put others down. Because we don't feel good about ourselves, so we try to tear others down so we feel feel better or look better. Sometimes we pour ourselves into work and projects so that we look good. 
And what we're really trying to do is avoid going home because we're not connecting the way we should because we're ashamed of something we've done. Sometimes we demand that non-Christians act like Christians when we don't act like Christians all the time. Something I read this week I thought was applicable. Those things ain't nothing but a fig leaf. They're nothing but a false covenant over what's really wrong. And that's what shame does to us. It tries to, it tries to encourage us to cover things up instead of get them exposed and taken care of. And then we have verse 8. So they hid. Not only does shame cause us to cover things up, it causes us to hide. Hide from the one who has the answers. Just like I asked the kids, could God not see them? Of course he could. God can see everything. And when, I think it's interesting that when God called out, where are you? Adam jumped up and said, here I am. I heard you and I was afraid, so I hid. You know, he didn't keep trying to hide because he knew God really, but he hid anyways. Why would you do that if you know God can see you? Because shame keeps us from thinking straight. Science even supports that. We don't think logically. And Adam and Eve were clouded. Their brains were clouded by the shame they were carrying. And then in verse 8 it says, they hid from the Lord. Shame causes us to run from the one we should run to. If you're sick, where do you go? To the doctor. If your car breaks down, where do you go? To the garage. If your tooth hurts, where do you go? To the dentist. If you have shame, where do you go? The only one who can take it away. And shame says, no, run away from him. And God says, it's not me. I want you to come. Shame is the enemy's plan to keep you separated from God. And I want to tell you a story about my life. I don't think I've talked too much about my father yet uh, to you folks. In my mind, my father was an incredible man. He wasn't an educated man. He never finished high school. He worked construction most of his life. But he was an example I would never forget. When I was 15 years old, about six weeks before my 16th birthday, when I could have got my driver's license, I walked into a store in our little town of Greencastle, and I decided for some reason that day I deserved a free soda. I had money in my pocket, but I decided I shouldn't have to pay for it. And the store owner had seen that many, many times, and he stopped me at the door and took me to the back and had me show him what I took. Something unexpected happened. Aren't you Charlie Myers' son? Aren't you a Christian? talk about shame. I felt like I was buried by a ton of dirt. 
He didn't call the police. He said, you can go, but I'm going to call you back. I wish you would call the police. When I went home that night, like your homes, there's probably a routine. I got home much before Dad. Dad would come home from work, and he would get clean up, and Mom would put dinner on the table. And I just had this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach the whole time. There's a call. There's a call. He didn't come during dinner. And we cleaned up, and I went in the living room, and sure enough, the phone rang. He asked for Dad, and I could hear part of the conversation, and I knew what was going on. And I thought, here it comes. Dad hung up the phone. He asked my mom a question. He said, was Dwight in town today? She said, yeah. He didn't say anything. He didn't come and punish me like I thought. He didn't say anything to me. My shame was even worse because I knew my mom and dad questioned me. My dad was hurting. And I mentioned this was right before my 16th birthday. And I kept waiting for him to come and say something, and he didn't. And two days later, my mom came and talked to me, and she said, I don't know what happened, but your dad got that phone call, and you're not getting your driver's license until you talk to your dad. You need to go talk to him. No. I was too embarrassed. I didn't want to face that. I went until August, my birthday's in March. I went to August without my driver's license. Separated for six months because I believed shame. That there was no way I could face this. There was no way out of this. That's what shame does. In verse 12, we see not only does it separate us from God, but it separates us from others. It says, it was the woman you gave me. What was Adam's response when God asked him, what have you done? He didn't take responsibility. The shame continued. It was her. It's her fault. Not mine. It's hers. Still didn't want to face up to it. This was his wife. And this is what shame does to us. It not only separates us from God, it separates us from the ones we love, just like my father. We don't want to share who we really are. But we're going to, we were just in verse 12, we're going to back up for a moment. Because there's something awesome in here. In verse 9, God said, where are we? Fortunately for us, God doesn't want us to stay in that shame. He knows what we're going through and that we really can't on our own turn to him because the enemy's feeding all these lies into our mind and locking up our brain and keeping us from doing what we really need to do. And God says, where are you? back. I want you. From the very first sin, God's been calling us back from shame and telling us we don't need to live that way. And we didn't read this far, but in verse 21 it says, the Lord God made garments of sin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And God has been providing a covering for our shame ever since. In the Old Testament it was animal skins and sacrifices that God was covering our shame so that we didn't have to live in it. 
And he had a permanent answer in mind. If we would have read more, we would have heard a little bit of the prophecy about him sending someone to crush the serpent, to break the chain. So let's look back at the scripture we read last week in Matthew as we talked about the curse. We're going to look at it real quickly again today. Matthew chapter 27, 27 to 31. And then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As we read those verses, can you feel the shame that Jesus is going through? He was spit on. He was made fun of. He was beaten. He was a king, but they acted as if he was not. He deserved the glory of heaven and instead took our pain. And it says, they led him away to crucify him. And I saw something else interesting this week as I prepared. What do we know about crucifixion? It's not from the Bible. Each one of the four Gospels doesn't go into detail what happened. We know that it involves spikes through the hands and the feet, that it involved hanging on the cross and dying from suffocation, that it was brutal. But we don't know that from Scripture because it doesn't go into detail. What it does focus on is his shame. Because we read in John chapter 19, verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe. This is something we usually skip over, but we don't want to think about. But remember back at the beginning in Genesis, it was shame, so they covered themselves. That innoc the innocence of being nude was gone, and nudity was now shameful. And Jesus, our God, hung on the cross, naked, in front of everyone. Now that wasn't enough that people spit him. Was it enough that they made fun of him? Was it enough that they beat him? That they questioned him? How embarrassing would it be to be nude in front of people today? And psychologists tell us most of us at some time or another have a dream where we are naked in front of people in embarrassment. It's a shameful thing today. It was even more so in Jesus' day. It was the worst shame they could have given him. And we know that from this verse. The soldiers took all the clothes that he had and divided it up among themselves. We also know it from history. That was the tradition. The Romans wanted to humiliate the people that they were crucifying. And Jesus hung there new. And the scary thing is the shame separated him from God. We're going to be talking more about that next week. But we read about Jesus crying out 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because of the overwhelming load of shame that Jesus was carrying. It really wasn't his. It was ours. And he took it upon himself. He stripped away every last support Jesus had. His friends hid. His reputation was gone. His decency was gone and being naked. His comfort was gone. His dignity and being God was gone. Everything was gone except for his shame. And he cried out to God. His sacrifice took our shame. So that we can now come to God. When he says, where are we? We can respond. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we've read these verses at different times for different reasons. I'm going to read it again related to shame. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean that he scorned the shame? As we've just seen, shame is one of Satan's most powerful, if not the most powerful, weapons. And he was heaping it all on Jesus. He was doing all he could to tell Jesus, you're nothing. This isn't working. It'll never work. You'll never be loved again. They'll never accept you again. There's no point to this. And the Bible says, Jesus took that and said, He showed us how to deal with shame. To recognize where does shame come from. Shame comes from the enemy and it's not real. It's not who we are. And it doesn't need to be there anymore. We can despise shame when we recognize its origin. That it's not from God. It's from the one that wants to separate us from God. And that's what Jesus wants for you today. He wants you to realize that shame can't last in the light of him, if we'll just turn to him. He's already carried it for us. Some final verses that we read with the young people, Romans 9, 9 to 11. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. This is the hope Jesus has given us. If we confess with our mouth, if we believe in our heart, what Jesus did on that cross, we no longer need to live in shame. We no longer need to hide who we are. We no longer need to believe that we're worthless. There's no helping us. Stop learning. Come back to God. Get rid of what's keeping you from being who He meant you to be. And a final thought. If we've never met Jesus, then we need to take that step. And for some of us, we walk with Jesus for a little while or a long while, depending on our lives. 
when we know that those moments of shame come back, when we fail our Savior, when we don't want to, Paul writes about that which I do not want to do, I do. And there's moments where we fail and that enemy comes again and says, see, that's who you really are. That's and Jesus says, no, it's not who you really are. If we continue to say we haven't sinned, we're alive, John tells us. Or if we try to hide what we've done, then our brain isn't working. Because God's already seen it. But Jesus is telling us you can come as many times as you need to. He doesn't want us to keep on sinning. But if we fall, there's a way to get rid of that shame. And we just need to remember that it's shame from the enemy, not from God. And he wants us to run back to him. I stopped somewhat in the middle of my story about my dad. And I went six months carrying this load of shame and embarrassment not wanting to face my dad, not, not wanting to go through that confrontation and the punishment that I was sure was coming. And one morning in August, by the way, you've heard me talk about Roxbury and it has been meaningful in my life, and this is just another way. One Saturday morning, my mother came and woke me up, said, you need to get up. Dad's taking you for your license. I just can't be. I haven't had a conversation yet. And I, with this humongous weight on my shoulders, got up and slowly got dressed and ate a little bit of breakfast and silently rode in the car to the station in Chambersburg where you get your license. And I'm like, this isn't making any sense. And we pulled in and we parked. Dad said, before we go in, I believe there's something we need to talk about. I had a conversation. And you know what? It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And it didn't have to be six months long. And my dad, in that moment, gave me the best lesson he's ever given me about who he was. God doesn't want to punish us. He wants us to turn back to him. He's calling out. Lord, come right here. Will you please? Just come back. Thank you for what you've done in life, for the example you gave in life. 